over the last few years, I think that the way the brands can be defined is, I like that brand. This is again, how most collectors think. I like that brand, but I can't think of any specific watch I need to have right now. So there was this overall appreciation of the brand respect, but there weren't a lot of watches that people had this investment into. Now we're starting to see watches that people are having more of a heartbeat for. Um, and we've been seeing a lot of them. So I think they've been doing a really good job. Most brands have the opposite problem. Cool products, brands that people don't really care too much about. This week on A Blog to Watch Weekly with Rick and Ariel, we hear about Ariel's interview with Jean-Claude Biver and Son. We check in on whether number five is still alive with a new Urwerk UR112 Aggregate Odyssey. Do you know what time it is in Phoenix? Well, now you can with the new Moritz Grossman Universal Zeit. 53 is the magic number for Zenith in the Defy series, while 37 is the new number for the Longines Spirit. Finally, you can now spend $4,000 on a G-Shock with the latest Mr. G. But would you? And should you? Rick and Ariel discuss. Enjoy the show. Greetings and welcome to the show, Ariel. It is stupid o'clock in the morning where you are, but that's because you've been conducting a very exciting interview for Superlative. Can you give us a clue as to what the certain individual who may have initials similar to an earth-moving equipment based out of the UK has been talking to you about? You must be talking about those JCB tractors. That's the one. I, I yeah. can see one from my window. There you go. <laughs> yes, I had the opportunity to have another chat with Jean-Claude Biver. Haven't spoken to him in about two and a half years, actually. We, d- we determined that it was actually Dubai Watch Week of 2019. He was there. We spent some time together and he retired, but then he didn't retire. And he spent maybe a solid five minutes discussing why he simply could not retire. He's a Manchester United fan. So just like his hero, Sir Alex, who retired and then didn't retire, he's just following the similar career path. Something like that. I think that he's afraid that if he retires, it's sort of a shortcut to personally expiring. And I think there's a lot of evidence to support that. And so he has an interesting new venture. They're not really wanting anyone to talk about too many details. And frankly, they still have a lot to figure out. But he's got a new venture with his son, his youngest son named Pierre. And they're going to be doing something together interesting, which... I think should be satisfying when uh, when all the news comes out. So is Pierre the one who was running Upolo in China? No, that was Loic, actually. Right, okay. uh, what, what people may not realize is he has five children. And you have three of them. I didn't know there was no, five. No, I have one. Right, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I could not imagine five. The funny thing is he said to me is I think... You know, his son, Pierre, was the only one who was a watch lover. You know, Mm -hmm. it's like he did something wrong with the other four. Like, oh, darn, (laughs) they're not one. They're not one. Hey, well, you, you are someone I might be able to pass on my watches to. Oh, thank God. One of you likes them. So the rest of them all into cheese. Is that it? Well, I mean, he's a man of of broad taste, and I'm sure they share his passions with all his children. But he seemed to suggest that there, there wasn't any, you know, I mean, look, he is... He's crazy about watches. You know, you see his face light up and literally get red from enthusiasm as he's talking about watches. You know, his son is so the opposite, so much more quiet, very Swiss, of course. He did not grow up in Switzerland. His Most of his formative years as a business person, adult, were, of course, in, in Switzerland. But, you know, his children are Swiss-Swiss, which is a lot more of a demure male personality most of the time. Was it just uh, Jean-Claude you were interviewing? Or were you no, it was him and his son. Oh, very good. Oh, that'll be, that'll yeah. be a first. It was charming. It was very charming to see them, uh, the chemistry. It was, kind of, it was kind of cute. So yeah, so that will come out. And we've had a lot of very interesting discussions. You know, I'm trying to sort of give a masterclass, if you will, on 
you know, properly running the watch industry today. And by interviewing all these people, I feel that I'm giving that, you know, he gives advice. I asked him to, I said, you know, give advice to watch brand managers today about how to solve things like your human resource problems. And he just, he has it ready. He has like a, a three-step plan for them. There's a lot of wisdom in, in, in a lot of this content. I'm just, I'm happy to be able to extract it from the smart people uh, and share it with the people listening. Cool. So you will be able to find that on the Superlative podcast in a few days or weeks time. You're probably listening to this show, a blog to watch weekly on the spending time channel from a blog to watch. But you should also know there is a dedicated a blog to watch weekly channel. So do search for that also on iTunes, Spotify, etc. And then as time progresses, we'll steadily remove the content from spending time and that will return to being the channel full of the, the much bigger chats, the group talk, the events that we cover, such as Dubai Watch Week and the upcoming uh, watches and wonders. Any more packing done for this week? Well, I'm going to to Switzerland first for a trip and um, got my, my stuff all packed for that. For Watches and Wonders, you know, it, it's challenged because they really want you to dress fancy and formal, but I have to carry around like photography equipment and audio equipment and sometimes video equipment if I'm helping the team. And so trying to figure out that right mix between like looking fancy and actually being a worker is is tough. I'm 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 open to suggestions, people. If you have Ariel Adams at Watch Trade Shows fashion advice, uh, practical <laughs> stuff, I will be a uh, very receptive ear. If you're listening to this on Spotify, you can actually comment on the individual episodes. You can send a voicemail memo as to what you think Irish would I think... Oh boy, I don't think that I should be listening to those. We need a filter for that. <laughs> Formal top half, so shirt, tie, etc. And then informal bottom half, so shorts and trainers. I think that's probably the look. So that whenever you're on camera, it looks posh, but actually... I love it, but I need to have more more articulation with my arms. If, well, if I have a formal top half, my arms are still going to be restricted and I have to move them around a lot for the photography and stuff. So maybe if I had like just a vest, you know, <laughs> I could do the tie. That's fine. You know, the one that's a ripped vest. off, like I wore a shirt, but the sleeves got ripped off and there's still like fabric. I'm into the vest, I have to say. It's one of the most <laughs> practical pieces of men's clothing, I have to say to you. All right, okay. So they've got exclusive fashion line coming from a blog to watch. <laughs> the Ariel Adams Memorial Vest. The Watch Guy Vest. The Watch Guy Vest. See, the thing is, over in the States, you've got like, you're all used to wearing basketball tops. Basketball tops? Is that not like a vest? They're like vest tops, are they not? Oh, I think they call those like basketball jerseys. Jer jerseys? A jersey is like a jumper. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. That, 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 that material isn't very flexible. I actually have one of those. I don't know that that would work so well. You know, I'm just going to have to to try it. And if I get a nasty letter from the organizers again, so be it. <laughs> just uh, get a vest and put somebody else's name on the back of it, like a football strip. What about one of those like motorcycle rider vests? Like, you know, people would be too afraid to mess with me. Like a Hell's Angel vest? <laughs> All right. Okay. So like a leather, a, a leather thing. Yes. I, I think the blog to watch logo would look very fetching on the back of that with a skull <laughs> yeah. and crossbones. Absolutely. Four up Fiona Krueger. See if she's got any leftover design swatches from her watches you know there's a lot of skull and watch artists out there she's just one of many that could do it justice
it would be entirely remiss of us not to touch upon world events and everything that's happening in Ukraine. And I know, Ariel, you can bring some personal knowledge to the situation. And indeed, I saw you posting earlier in the week specifically about Ukraine and everything that's going on there. Obviously, the watch world is responding and raising money. And you can go to the usual sources like the Red Cross, etc., who are raising money to help out the situation over there just now. But how else are you seeing the watch world response? Switzerland have surprisingly, for a country that's normally neutral on all things, have somewhat reneged on their neutrality. What's your opinion of, of what you're seeing? Yeah, I mean, look, let's be honest. In the scheme of what's going on to talk about the watch industry problems is important to us in the industry, but ultimately not that high on everyone's priority list for good reason. Switzerland has a long history of siding with nobody. They call that being neutral. I call it siding with nobody. And finally, something was happening in the world that was so heinous that they had to take a side and and that's what they did. I think that, you know, actually the UK and London has a very similar problem where it has been a, I don't want to call it a safe haven, but a popular spot for very wealthy Russian people to come and buy things. Yep. So there's definitely going to be a lower amount of Russian money in, in the watch sector. And that's that's going to hurt. That's going to hurt people in Switzerland who rely on that. Um, I know watchmakers that sometimes specialize in selling to, to that part of the world. They have special tastes there. Um, there's certain designs that they like. There's a lot of custom watches that they like. So there's a lot of business that happens there. The uh, the Kremlin, of course, is is probably um, uh, a very big area for watches. Putin himself is a watch collector. He's a lot of watches. He he's popularly seen wearing Blanc Pond. That's a that's a Swiss brand. So you know, there's there's a lot of weird things surrounding you know the vilification of him and his regime, and of course all the sanctions on Russia. So again, while nobody would want to sort of poke their head out and be like, hey, won't someone think about the people selling luxury watches? This horrendous situation is going to have a lot of negative effects on on some parts of the industry. I couldn't say where for sure. Hopefully, most people are diversified enough, but there are some specialists that, you know, do most of their business in Russia. And now uh, it's it's not going to be an easy time for them. I think I saw both Raketa and Constantine Chaikin props them both uh, both publishing criticism of the war that's taking yeah. place. And I also yeah. saw a post from yourself. I didn't realize you had this background that you published on your own Instagram account a watch that you got specially made that happens to be for good reason in the colors of the Ukrainian flag. Can you just tell us quickly about that before we move on with the rest yeah, of the Yeah, I show? mean, look, I've I've spent time in the Ukraine. I have family in Ukraine. I, I, you know, a couple of years ago had an opportunity to make a custom watch and I said, hey, let's let's try the Ukraine flag colors, you know, the distinctive blue and yellow, which you didn't really see that many places. And I was like, okay, that's not a combination that is going to come up very often. All of a sudden, everyone is sporting their you know, their colors in support of Ukraine. I'm like, well, I have a watch actually. And on the back of the watch, I actually didn't remember this, but I had engraved the statement, remember what you love, which seems to be a slogan that the people bravely fighting in Ukraine right now are thinking to themselves. They they love their country and, and they're remembering that every moment of it. So mm. it's, it's a very challenging time, I think, emotionally for a lot of people. Watches have always been a great hobby and distraction during the pandemic, which has been tragic in a very different way. Uh, people... Yes 
people went to watch collecting as an escape, as a hobby. It thrived. Now we enter a new phase. Exactly how that will have an effect on the watch industry is difficult to say. But we do know that commodities and equities trading goes nuts during wartime. And we've had a lot of that in watches. And if you are interested, there's lots of watch brands on the internet that are doing various things to financially assist those that are suffering. I I, I want to comment that I did have some exchanges with the watchmakers in Russia. I did send an email to Konstantin Chaikin, for example, because, you know, I'm sure, you know, he, I know for a fact his feelings on the matter, and he probably feels rather isolated. And Raketa did express to us their complete lack of support of what their government is doing and absolute shock and horror. I, 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 I don't know if it's politically sound to say right now that a lot of the Russian people themselves are victims, but we're all victims. There is a horrible situation right now that is just causing mass victimization everywhere, needless victimization. And there's a lot of good people everywhere who are are, are, are suffering and complete disappoint of this. So it's, um again, this is, um, this is one of the situations that, again, is common in Ru- Russian literature, which is a lot of human suffering and people trying to wrap their minds around it. So there's plenty of opportunities to help out. Quick search around Instagram. We'll point out a number of watch brands, companies, strap makers, retailers, etc. So if you want to help out, you can search them out. We have upgraded the wheel of news to the computer-generated noise of news. And our first news article this week that is going to come out of it, we are going to talk about... The Oorwork. Now, to be honest, I only want to talk about this so that I can edit in noises from Short Circuit. Because if this isn't a ripoff of Johnny Five is Alive, I don't know what is. This is awesome. I am alive. More input. More input. Have you handled this watch? I have handled not this specific version, which is called the Aggregate, but an almost identical version of the UR-112. Uh, I don't know if we have a hands-on article of it yet, but it is coming. This is a wild watch. It's very expensive. And, you know, the funny thing is I didn't actually necessarily see the Johnny Five connection. Now I do. How can you miss it? <laughs> I, you know, I was... I was No disassemble. No disassemble. I know, I know, I know. I, I see it now that is the head and all that that especially with the, the things that pop up on the top but look you know the designers or work they're they're watching the same stuff you know they were kids in the 80s too yeah yeah and i i like that movie uh, i even enjoy the sequel <laughs> <laughs> one of the things i think which is important here is when or work is coming up with a watch like this they're not thinking like boy, this is really going to be something that the guys at the club are going to like, or I'm really going to be able to show this thing off. It's a very different mentality. It ends up being impressive because of the result of what it is, but the way they come about it is, is, is so unique. And remember, this is not a cheap watch, even though it looks... Like it may not be their most expensive. This is a this is a two hundred and fifty thousand Swiss franc yeah. or work, which is several times that of like the entry level model, which is like the the UR. I don't know if it's the one hundred one now or something like that, which uh-huh. is about sixty or seventy thousand. I think maybe even as low as fifty thousand. This watch, the Aggregat, has this plate that flips up, which reveals a seconds counter and a power reserve indicator. You have these sort of like louvers that indicate the time. So it's not their standard 
satellite system exactly. You have two different windows, one for the hours on the left and the one for the minutes on the right. And you read the time in a, a way that isn't even the same. Because again, most Orwork models have more or less the same kind of satellite time. There are a few that differ. This is the one that differs. There is sort of this robot face looking at you. The funnest thing about this watch isn't necessarily looking at it, but touching it. As you can see, there's like a sliding lever on the side. There's a lot of texture on the crown. There's a little fold out part on the crown, right? So the crown is designed so that you can normally just spin it, but then there's like this little fold out part that allows you to pull it out to adjust the time. And you can see that the aggregate has all these grooves on it. There's multiple textures. This is like for someone who has like a touching fetish. There's so much to touch and feel on this watch. And that's what a lot of the people uh, like about Orwork. It, it is about a celebration of, you know, man and machine. I mean, that's really how the, 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 you know, the designers talk about it. Yeah, I mean, it's awesome. I don't get how it's $250,000, but, you know, fair enough. If you can get that for it, go for it. Well, they do. <laughs> <laughs> they do. They understand why it's $250,000. Maybe, maybe it's the rights they need to pay to the owners of uh, Short Circuit. But, uh, you know, I mean, it's awesome. I'm not normally the biggest fan of Urwerk, although I do really like Wandering Hours complications like the Gorilla ones we spoke about last week. But this actually looks really nice. I really like this. Unfortunately, as you say, it is one of the most expensive watches. So I'm never likely to see it, own it, or even get to disassemble it. Yeah, it's 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 wildly expensive. It's fun. Like I said, I wore the same watch, just a slightly different version with some different finishing on it. it, it it's cool. I mean, the guys at Urwerk are cool. And, you know, even though what they what they do is expensive, you feel more comfortable doing business with them than some of the others because you don't feel like they're just patently trying to, like, sell something low for a high mm. price. Like, there's the time and effort in this. And they've made a conscious choice as a brand to stay small only make a certain number of watches, not get corporate. And there's really something to respect about that, in my opinion. Yeah, you can check out one of the episodes of Spending Time from Dubai Watch Week, where we interviewed uh, one of the guys from Urwerk, and you just get that feeling. It's just, they're doing what they want to do. And, you know, they know it's commercial enough that they'll sell what they make, but it's not about being mass produced. It's not about going down a certain route that kind of copies others for success it's just about having fun with design doing their own thing and releasing stuff like this on the world yeah this is the Orwork ur112 aggregate odyssey watch and we published that on february 24th and you can see more about that on blog to watch the next thing that we're going to be talking about in terms of new watches is one from german moritz grossman they're in the city of glashutte they have a nice little manufacturer on the hill there. And this watch is a, a variation on the world timer. It's called the Universal Zeit. And what it does is it's it's interesting. It's not a new concept per se, but we haven't really seen it in a wristwatch. The dial is a map of the world. And there are certain holes on the dial where there's city names, reference cities. And underneath it is one big disc. And every time this disc turns, all the numbers change because they're on a slightly different position. And this is sort of a combination of a GMT and world timer. It seems to have six different time zones on the dial, which uh, does not include the time on the main dial. So that's seven different time zones. It's fun looking. There are a lot of people that like map watches. This one to me is a little bit text 
heavy on the dial. I feel like version two of this watch is going to be much more minimalized in terms of the text. I get it. It makes sense, but I'm not sure if it's the most elegant thing. But again, this is this is innovation in action. They're trying something new. It's not necessarily going to be the final way it's going to be. This is a cool watch, the Moritz Grossman Universal Zeit. Beautiful movement uh, done by them. They Their movements are really, really nice. And we're talking 42,000 euros. Like what we were speaking about last week about innovation, we've actually had two watches, which you could say innovate to some degree in the Uruk and then this. I really like this. I agree with you about the tech. And probably there will be a version too, and it'll it'll tweak slightly. But Morris Grossman's a brand are vastly underrated and appreciated, in my opinion. Some of the stuff they produce is just awesome. I've had the chance to see quite a lot of it in person, particularly the the bump rotor. It's not called a bump rotor. That's just the ignorant Glaswegian speaking. Rather than it being an automatic where the rotor spins, it's like an internal pendulum. Uh, it's an old-fashioned way. Right, of, right, right. I know what you're talking about. And it's it's awesome. And the finishing in these watches are great. And actually, they're great people as well, Christine and the gang across at Morris Grossman. Yeah, they make a beautiful product. And again, I think what you can admire about them is that you don't see a lot of risk-taking at some of their colleague brands in Glasshuta. Along yes. <laughs> in Zona certainly isn't doing massive risk-taking. Glasshuta Original, a different kind of thing. Then you have Nomos, arguably not much of a risk taker, even though it's a different style of watch. But for the type of like hand decor they're doing, um, I always sort of like liken this to, um, you know, something like a, a Lang & Heine, which is a different German brand, you know, based in uh, Marco Lang in, in Dresden, where there is this focus on traditional sort of German style movement making, but you can be playful or modern or try something new with the dial. For those of you who have seen this and you should go and check out the article, the one oddity about the watch is it's obviously got time zones for Tokyo, Dubai, Singapore, Cape Town, Rio, and then Phoenix is their choice of location in the United States. Not New York or LA or Dallas or Chicago, but Well, it's just the way the dial worked. You can see here it would have looked awkward to have the number to the side. And then they, they oddly... They'll write New York, but there's no information on necessarily how to acquire the time. You see what I mean? <laughs> so it's like it, it's just sort of, it's a it's just sort of a funny array. Like there are slight logical in- inconsistencies. It makes for a good conversation. It does, as I understand it, is because Phoenix doesn't have daylight savings, so it's always correct in relation to Rio, Cape Town, Dubai, Singapore, and Tokyo, because none of these cities. Yeah, but I don't think these other the cities year. also lack it. I mean, I could be wrong, but I think these other cities do. So if right, okay. my logic is correct, there could be times where this dial is wrong because right, okay. Phoenix <laughs> is off from the other ones here. <laughs> I, I, I'm, I think because I think there's just one big disc in the background, right? Uh, do we think that there is just a massive collector community of Morris Grossman in Phoenix? There's like four guys and girls. I just in don't Phoenix. think that they necessarily realize that Phoenix uh, is part of a state, Arizona, which doesn't recognize it. So, assuming that they do have daylight savings in Rio or Dubai, it, there's going to be an hour off. They might have to change. We we may have just discovered a fatal flaw. I don't know. <laughs> I did wonder whether it's a bit like weather forecasters. I don't know what they're like in in the US, but in the UK, particularly in Scotland. 
where the weather forecaster prepares his own data that goes on the map. There's like an internal competition of the most obscure weather stations that they can put on the map. So from time to time, you'll see this completely random little village that happens to have a weather station referred to on the UK forecast just because the person who's actually presenting it gets to select. Is this like rural UK humour? Yes, yes. This, okay, is as, yeah. this is as fun as it gets over here. It's <laughs> raining, so we have to make jokes out the weather forecast. But uh, So I wonder whether it's just that there's... Maybe Morris Grossman just have a watchmaker from Phoenix. That's where they grew up. <laughs> anyway, it's a great looking watch. I love how your your biggest issue is why did they put Phoenix out of any other name? <laughs> yeah, it's just odd. Yeah, well, look, I live in Los Angeles and I've lived near Phoenix. Phoenix is not an unpopular <laughs> name. I can see how if you live in Glasgow, you're like... Phoenix, like nobody mentions Manchester. Like if we're talking about England, it's one city. It's London. Okay, no one's ever mentioned any of the other cities in California. They they know of them, but no one mentions them. So I'm sure it's the same way. You probably mentioned a handful of U.S. cities. Phoenix that's, probably isn't one of them. That's our Manchester audience. Stop playing the podcast. Then <laughs> sensitivity. I know. Goodbye to our Manchester listeners. Anyway, so go and check out that article that was written this week by Sean. So go and have a look at that. This week we have on the website, actually, it's a sponsored post from Zenith. But I wanted to touch on this. It's 53 years. So the title is Exploring 53 Years of Avant-Garde with the Zenith Defy series. I'm not sure why 53 years was chosen. Maybe the same person that put Phoenix on the map of the Morris Grossman was also in charge of picking numbers to celebrate I'm from sorry, Zenith. was that not a nice round enough number for you, Richard? <laughs> no, no, I need my numbers. I need my number. Oh, I've got five fingers, five toes. I see. No, I've actually got ten fingers and ten toes, haven't I? Anyway, <laughs> yeah, it needs to be a round number. <laughs> at least a round number is in fives. Anyway, because they also launched in 1969. Right, so talk to us about the Zenith Defy. I'm a big fan of the Zenith Defy. In general, I think that Zenith cases going historically way back are some of my favourite case shapes that have ever been made. And Zenith this year have very much been delving into both the historical stuff, but also keeping a wee eye on what is popular at the higher end, at the unobtainium end of the Royal Oaks and even things like the Chopards and... uh, uh, Tondas and all this, and have been, and and the Daytona with the uh, Chronomaster Sport that they've brought in as well. Zenith have really placed themselves in the guys. We make watches that are similar to these, but actually you can buy them, and they're reasonably competitive. And I think they've done a great job. And some of these new defies are just stunning. Well, I mean, I think Zenith has done what you said for a longer time than you said it for. It's not a recent phenomenon. Where they're, I mean, this is essentially what most of the Swiss watch industry would do historically, is they would say, let's make our version of some popular theme. People like watches that kind of look like this case shape. Let's make our version because the market wants that. That's, that's as far as I think it would go. And so that does typify a lot of what these brands would do in the past. And so what Zenith has done more recently is revitalize their own old designs and continue with that same model where they're like, hey, there's this popular looking Rolex. People can't seem to get enough of them. We have a similar concept. Why can't we do something that looks like that? And then they we do and it sells. And it's, you know, it's maybe not the most original thing in the world, but 
it does actually follow some of the more traditional business models that would have been employed in, in the watch industry. So I, I don't think it's anything remarkable. The Defy collection is is their angular watch, not always on an integrated bracelet, but has an integrated bracelet look on a lot of the modern ones. And they are trying to say, hey, everyone, this is, you know, for lack of a better term, our hat in the ring of Royal Oaks and Nautiluses. These are trendy watches. We believe in our designs. We believe in our price point. We believe in our brand. If you are a Zenith kind of, you know, person, choose ours. You know, the watch on uh, on the bracelets, about 8,400 bucks, you know, their own movements. It's It's a good modern product. They're very nice. You know, there are, again, in the same group, Bulgari has the Octo Finissimo that's a little bit more. The Roma's about the same price. It's just sort of choose your thing. LVMH in general that owns Zenith has a lot of great entrance here. You know, when I see these watches in steel for like twenty, thirty thousand dollars um, $30,000, I chuckle a little bit because I don't think that's what most of the market wants. I think most of the market wants this. And so there's that inherent wisdom to what, what Zenith is doing here. And this post just tries to go back in time a little bit and say, look, we've been doing something like this for a while. Check out the ways we used to do it and the way we do it today. And I, I think that's that's uh, actually quite rewarding to see all that together. Yeah, I mean, if you go to the Zenith website, I don't think there is a watch that I wouldn't attempt to wear on the entire website. Even their open heart stuff, and I really dislike open heart watches, but even their open heart stuff looks the so Chrono much better. The open? Yeah, even that stuff I think looks really cool. I, I think it's probably the fact that they're one of the few brands that just are known for the kind of swatch of colours on the watch faces in the way they do. But even, yeah, there's not a bad watch in this collection. You know, Zenith is, is actually quickly evolving and on a good track. You know, cast in a light least favourable to them. Over the last few years, I think that the way the brands can be defined is I'd like that brand. This is, again, how most collectors think. I like that brand, but I can't think of any specific watch I need to have right now. So there Mm. was this overall appreciation of the brand, respect, but there weren't a lot of watches that people had this investment into. Now we're starting to see watches that people are having more of a heartbeat for. Um, And we've been seeing a lot of them. And so I think they've been doing a really good job of actually, and again, most brands have the opposite problem. Cool products, brands that people don't really care too much about. Zenith had the opposite problem for a while, um, but now I think they're starting to catch up a little bit um, in very impressive way on the product side. Go check out the article on 53 years, not 54, not 52, but 53 years of design, avant-garde design, no less, from Zenith on a blogtowatch.com. So another thing that we published about, and again, it's just I love having discussions about these, is Longines and 37 millimeter new spirit watches. What do you think about that size, Richard? Um, uh, no. It's, I mean, uh, I wear Panerai. <laughs> if it's not 44 mil, it's not a real watch. <laughs> no. Okay, I'm like you. I'm a big watch guy, and I when I see this at shows, like I remember, I would just routinely dismiss it, like. That's nice. It's not big enough. That's nice. It's not big enough. And that is true for, you know, a large percentage of of, of the, the population. With that said, there's a very vocal and very real demographic that wants men's watches sized, I would say, you know, 39, 38, 37, 36, maybe even 35 sometimes. And this audience 
does not feel like they've been giving enough options over the last 10 to 15 years. Prior to that, they had a lot, but it's true. There has been a long time that if you were a gentleman that wanted a watch of that size, there was very little for you. Now brands are, are in, in wholesale starting to release watches in that sort of 36 to 38 millimeter size. Here's a 37 millimeter Longines Spirit. Maybe internally they categorize it as a unisex watch, meaning they think some women will buy it as well. But this this looks to me like a men's watch. It's And the, the comments are, are really, really positive. And it's it's not surprising, but it's really nice to see that this audience now feels like they have watches that are being intended for them. I think it's a good category. It's, it's a very active consumer base. And so I think this is a very smart decision by Longines. Having said that, I want the larger size. So I hope that we'll return to the practice where popular watches are made in multiple sizes where there's a 37 and a 40 and maybe a 43 because I think that you know someone's taste and their size preference don't always go together meaning the same people can appreciate a watch but you know it's sort of like you know clothing size if it's too small then they can't wear it and that's a shame so I like the idea of brands making a variety of sizes and similar designs it is a very pretty watch and it's a very nice price right in there competing against, I don't know, the kind of Tudor of a similar nature and certainly a sensible alternative to going like down the Explorer route within Rolex. A, you'll be able to get one and B, it'll save you a whole load of money. The raised numerals are lovely. It's got a date complication, which is nice. It'll be well-finished. Longines, well-established brand. It ticks a lot of boxes. It will be interesting to see, because certainly when I've spoken to brands in the past, you know, a brand releases a 42mm watch, and then everybody screams, oh, I would buy that if only you made it in 39. So they make it in 39, and nobody buys it, and they all still buy the 42 so it'd be interesting to see actually whether the purchase matches the demand. You know, people are saying give us smaller watches, but whether when faced with a 37mm watch versus a 39 or a 41 of a similar ilk, if not exactly the same watch, what do people in general choose? You're do right. They go You're right. You can't. You cannot please everyone, and you can't predict the success of these until you put them in the market and see if you judged the success based upon the comments, that wouldn't be very wise, right? That would that would get you into trouble. But if you just sort of asked yourself with this work, you could never you could never know. Two months ago before this watch came out, I would have no idea that Longines was gonna come out with it. I never no idea to do so well. And I'm not saying everyone loves it, but the overwhelming sentiment seems to be that there's a lot of people that have been waiting for a watch like this. And that's good. And you know, people have been given the swatch group a bit of a hard time recently. They've been quiet from a managerial standpoint. They've shied away from some shows. They haven't been exactly prolific in uh, their new releases and things like that. From a marketing standpoint, they've been quite quiet. But they haven't figured out when it comes to to product. They they seem to know what the market is buying. Clearly, they've been paying attention. And so I think that, you know, in terms of a, an organized group with organized brands, people should be looking up to the Swatch Group right now. Yes, I... Uh... I mean, Longines is one of these brands, I suppose a bit like Zenith. You feel maybe Zenith are a few stages ahead of them. Maybe. Okay, I'll, I'll tell you this. I'm meeting with their CEO. Their global CEO is going to be here in Los Angeles 
tomorrow. Ooh, and right, I'm, okay. I'm having a meeting with him. I guess we're going to do a podcast. What do yeah. you think I should ask him about what's going on? Or what do you think I should tell him? I would like to know to what extent he doesn't get to do some of the stuff he would like to do because the focus is all on Omega. There you go. I dare you to ask that question. <laughs> wow. You, you're apparently not familiar with the Swatch Group answer, which I will get if I ask such a question. <laughs> which is, please, we're leaving now. Lunch is early. Our taxi is at the door. <laughs> a, l- a, l- a little bit more cagey than that. <laughs> I mean, I would say that Longines probably has, maybe 10 years ago, equal brand recognition to Omega. That'd be fair. But I don't know. It's very much it's very much seen as a sideshow now. It feels like a sideshow when it shouldn't be. Some of the watches long jeans make, like the Hydro Conquest, is an amazing watch. For the price. Longines is what I call the brand stuck in the middle. Yes. It's yes. always going to be in the middle. It's never entry level. It's never too high end. They're thoroughly in the middle. It's the Volvo of watches. Okay. That's an interesting way, way of looking at it. So the problem is if you're a watch collector, you spend very little time in the middle. You definitely start out somewhere, usually buying less expensive watches, and then you sort of get into a comfort zone of buying high-end watches if you get to the point of being able to afford it. Nowadays, there's an emerging collector who stays in the middle and, you know, a $2,000 or $3,000 watch is the most they'll ever spend. And that's fantastic. That's real collectors and that's good. But again, you and I and many, many other people, we spent very little time in the middle. So for us to go back and wear a watch from the middle on a regular basis means that it needs to be quite special. Yet the problem is because they're going for a mainstream look, they all look lovely, but we're like, I don't know when I'd actually wear it. So that's sort of the issue with the Longines is it sort of as a mature collector, you sort of you grow out of it. it and it's and, and they aren't doing like Zodiac, for example, Zodiac makes these fun, colorful watches that you'll wear. It's fifteen hundred bucks. But if you're if you're used to wearing a ten thousand dollar watch, you'll wear it because it does something fun. Yes. Right now, the Longines with its lovely, subtle champagne dial and elegant <laughs> steel bracelet and Arabic numerals. It's you know, it's for like a. You know, it's for like a really aspirational middle manager somewhere who's doing great. That's just not you and me right now. You know what I mean? Like, mm. I want that individual to be wearing and enjoying that watch. It's going to look great on them, but it's difficult for us to find a playful use case scenario to wear it outside one of their like hour angle watches or something like that, which are awesome. Yeah, no, that's great analysis. Uh, I think if there was a brand that I could buy and separate off and play around with. I think Longines would have to be in the top five. Obviously, if you could just let them loose to do their own thing, so much history, so much watchmaking talent, but uh, just kind of, as you say, absorbed into the the middle ground. And I and I love the the uh, the former CEO Walter von Connell and his story. And he was he was like a CEO there for like forty something years. He and he started out like I, I think he told me it was like it was like doing janitorial service or some basic thing in the factory. Like truly worked his way up. One of those stories. Worked his way into the middle of watchmaking. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I mean, he'd been there so long. It was a higher-end brand. It didn't become the yeah. middle until True. the Swatch Group, you know, strategically tried to position it. I still have it. He gave me this book, and the book is every movement that Longines ever developed when it was an independent company. It was like dozens wow. and dozens of movements. Loads there to look at, so go and check out the article on the website. Okay, finally for today, and I think 
there might be not a row about this, but there'll be there'll be a bit a bit of toing and froing. We're gonna look at the Casio G Shock, the Mr. G B five thousand, an article that Ariel has written. Yes. So this is basically the MRG version of the GMW. Uh, GMW. So there's the GMW5. Those of you that are familiar with G-Shocks, the range of G-Shocks that came out maybe three years ago that was the first range of like the metal G-Shocks, which you could pick up for six, seven hundred quid, I think. Something like that. Yeah. This is the Mr. Yeah, G version that. of that. And it's three grand. Well, it's 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 thirty five hundred to four thousand dollars. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you're not making it any better. Your article is lovely. It's well written. The grammar is perfect. All the punctuation's in the right place. But really, Ariel, how can you justify a watch that is just slightly better case and better bracelet has the same core components being five times the price? Discuss. Go on. Justify sure. yourself. It's a fair question. <laughs> Look, the reality is it is inherently a much more expensive watch to make. The price coincides with, you know, the way that they, they, they structure prices. It's not it's not like, a, hey, guys, I think we can get away with this. This is a much more complicated to manufacture watch than the standard ones. There's a lot more pieces, for example. It's a different material. It's different finishing. Does that make it a higher functioning watch? Well, not necessarily, but it is legitimately a more expensive watch to make and priced accordingly. So there isn't sort of a, a, a deceitful side there in any way, shape or form. But you bring up the good point is why would you buy it? Outside of the sort of coolness factor that you have this very intricately made digital watch, you know, does it do anything better than the clone model, which is essentially the one that costs a fraction of the price, even though it's still several hundred dollars, it's not yeah. an inexpensive uh, G-Shock. So I, I can't say why, but again, this is not a high production piece. There's a strange kind of allure in it, like you don't know why you want it, you just do. Um, <laughs> I don't know when I would say, you know, I'm going to spend 3500 to $4,000 on a G-Shock, but that comes as someone who has so many G-Shocks, I'm like, do I need another G-Shock? But I love the thing. It looks beautiful. It's not finished like any other G-Shock. And if you had to imagine a luxury G-Shock in your mind that had the simplicity and approachability and sort of practicality of a digital watch, but with like a case that's about as crazily made as possible, th that's what this is. Like it's right. not difficult to wrap your mind around the appeal. The value proposition in terms of why you'd buy this versus something else for the money, that's a different discussion altogether. But it is it is surprisingly coherent. And if you understand what the engineers were going for, then it is a good answer to the question that they, they set out to ask. See, I kind of understand. So there's the $70,000 G-Shock, which is solid gold. And I kind of get that. The ultimate flex would be to wear something that's $70,000 that only you know is that and everybody else thinks is just a gold-plated or gold-coloured metal watch. I think if this watch was like platinum or something and was $100,000, I'd kind of get it. I'm just not sure I get it when you compare it with the other one. I, I appreciate the strap is different and there's more parts to it. And it does look nice. It's probably more difficult to see that in the photos than if you've got both of them sitting in front of you, I dare say. But if both of these were sitting on your bedside and you woke up bleary-eyed from having recorded a podcast with me at half past four in the morning and you reached over, would you 
quickly be able to tell the difference or would you put one okay, on and go, I'll, oh, wait I'll, I'll say this, I'll say on. this. Of the standard versions, there's the steel and the titanium ones. The steel is not really a good comparison because these MRG ones are extremely light and much more scratch resistant. So you would feel that they're different. But the titanium versions, these are not just, the MRGs aren't just any titanium, but exotic scratch resistant titanium alloys and fancy stuff like that they're going to weigh about the same so for about i think it's like eleven hundred dollars or twelve hundred dollars you can get the titanium ones which are really cool same module as they call it you know, the movement so to say it is the more simple the simple case even though it's very difficult to tell that visually but you get like a solid 90 percent of the experience maybe 85 to 90 percent of the experience in the you know, roughly $1,000 model. To go up to three, $4,000 for the MRG ones, are you getting double your money? No, but it's never been that way in the watch space. You know, you pay a lot of money for two extra percentage points of refinement, so to say. And it's just similar to that. You know, this is, there's, there's nothing here that isn't paralleled in the Swiss watch space. It's just sort of like this disruptive thing. It's like, well, wait a minute, this is Casio, <laughs> not Switzerland, Japan, why confused and there's a little bit of that that goes on okay but it's once you get over that it's fine so do we think this technology in the materials here that we'll see elsewhere is this actually more of a platform for going elsewhere than it is for actually selling lots of these mr g's they never sell a lot of these it's a fun product the you know the people at casio themselves they love wearing these things they feel they feel super cool wearing their own high-end stuff so you know Half the time, I think they're making it for themselves, you know, and, and that, that's a good enough reason. Do you think that's actually a thing whereby, you know, you work for G-Shock? I assume G-Shock is its own division within... Sort of. Within Casio. It's their most popular watch, you know, so they have, you know, the, the Protrex and the edifices and, you know, the data banks, but most of what they make is G-Shock, so... It, it's not really different. So are they basically going to all these meetings and there's all these Swiss people wearing the Protex and the Rolex and they're like, blame it, I just want us to be able to wear something that's as expensive. I know what we'll do, we'll make a gold one. Okay, we're going to try a test. We're going to try a uh -huh. test, okay? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have two high-end Casios available to me to wear to Watches and Wonders. I could wear one of these, which, you know, $3,500 to $4,000, or I could take it a step back and wear one of the new Oceanus watches. There's one that's about 22,000 bucks, maybe a little bit more. There's a special edition one, which is a, a, a fancy titanium. That's an analog dial one. Which of those, maybe both, do you think I should sport to Watches and Wonders? Oh, if I was going to wear one to Watches and Wonders, I'd wear the, the one you've just reviewed. The MRG? The MRG, and then I would go up to anyone that wants with a watch and saying, right, put these on the table and member of the public, you tell me which one's more expensive, this or the new Tudor or the... <laughs> <laughs> the new zenith or the new the new whatever how much cheaper is this than that no i'd wear the g-shock but then you're kind of you're into the kind of disruptive stuff i like how the i like how the analog casio is much more uh much more fearful to you than this one <laughs> so what are you going to choose have you already made a decision no no, no, no. So, I, how many are you taking? How many watches are you taking with you? I, I haven't, I haven't decided yet. It's a different time, a different all the time. Um, you know, now with smartwatches being there, I probably won't wear a smartwatch. And there, I was thinking about wearing. Um, 
I don't know. Like, I, I like I like the activity tracking. That's the thing. I, I, I kind of get a kick out of knowing like, oh, I, I did all these steps today. I, you know, like I, I enjoy that. It's a, it's a workout going to these watch shows. So I don't know. Maybe I'll carry it in my bag or something. I think long sleeves and on one wrist you wear your Apple Watch. And then people are like, oh, you wear it. So what are you wearing the other wrist? And then on the other wrist, you're wearing a G-Shock. <laughs> there you go. Ultimate redundancy. Ultimate redundancy. Yeah, if one breaks, if you lose an arm, you've at least got there the you time go. still somewhere else. Cool. Well, that is us for the show this week. We hope you've enjoyed it. Please do leave a comment. iTunes, Spotify, if you do these things. If you listen to Spotify, please do send us a message uh, via the Spotify app. What have you got coming up this week? Well, like I said, I'm meeting with um, the CEO of Longines here in Los Angeles. Got a lot of other meetings with brands hearing about some of the watches that they're coming out with that I can't mention. Going to Switzerland next week, there are a lot of events that our team is going to be at in the month of March. Omega is releasing some new stuff soon, so uh, we'll, we'll hear about that. So it's going to be a very heavy news month in March. A lot of travel. Hopefully get as much of these shows done as possible, and we'll have a lot to talk about starting in April. Yes, we will. So do tune in again next week. You can find Ariel where on the internet? Ablogtowatch.com and our blog to watch Instagram channel and my personal instagram channel which is ariel to watch and you can find me on at rick tiktok or at the wind up merchants and that is us so have a great rest of the day thanks everyone